Greetings, and welcome to Formula XX, a podcast by two Gen X women talking about F1 and other motorsports, usually with adult beverages and always with adult words. Today, we're looking back at 2024 preseason testing and looking forward with our 2024 season predictions. With me here, as always, my F1 BFF, Jen. Jen, where are you? How are you? And what's new in your world? I'm back at my condo in Vancouverish. I am fucking exhausted because sleep is apparently a dream that no longer exists. Oh, and because it's the morning and God knows Heather and I have abused our livers enough of the last two weeks, I am drinking tea. Heather, where are you? How are you? And what are you doing? I am in the center of Seattle as usual. I am also partaking of a caffeinated beverage of a non-alcoholic variety, meaning coffee, because as you <laughs> said, adulting is hard, not sleeping is worse, and there hasn't been a lot of either in a week where as a West Coast of North America fan, you are required to be up between 11 p.m. and 8 a.m. for multiple days in a row if you really want to watch testing thoroughly. Uh, I made about 16 hours, I guess, in total out of the 24 possible hours of testing. Yeah, Heather was a rock star. She made far more than I did. I Ugh. I kept falling asleep. I just couldn't do it. I stayed awake while Lewis was in the car. Testing, I think it'll be interesting to get your take on whether anything really moved on the dial of where you thought teams were a week ago versus where they are now. Did you have sort of key takeaways from testing, not so much the ranking issues, but testing as a whole conceptually? Was there anything that really stood out for you? Jesus Christ, is the coverage shit. Yeah, it is. Anything you really learned about the cars, you learned from like social media and doing deep dives into other sites and other outlets rather that have access to the data that we didn't have out access to. Um, we did discover after all of testing was done that, um, oh my God, caffeine, please work. I have team viewers stuck in my head and I know that's not it. Multiviewer was doing live timings, which I could not find the first day. Turns out it was on a sub menu. Should have thought to ask the question, my bad, because it did not make sense to me that they wouldn't. But because you can't get any of that when you're watching the coverage on F1 TV, I sort of thought, well, maybe they were restricted from it too. Also, to harp on about how awful the coverage is for F1 TV, you know, when testing's coming, it's not a surprise party. They can plan other bits. The amount of rambling they do, and to be fair, there were two red flags for drain covers two days in a row that postpone sessions by hours. But you never know what's going to happen, what's not going to happen. And frankly, the producers, the on-air talent, everybody, you should have bits prepared. Here are the bits that we've already seen visually from launches uh, of, of the new cars. Here's how they differ from last year's cars. Here's splits. You know, have Sam do a deep dive analysis into the difference of the front wings that we're currently seeing. Oh my God. It's just the rambling is so boring. Yeah. I don't ever want to hear about silly season again. And I know that we're going to, I think the same four or five conversations happened every two hours in part because that's the rotation for the new commentators to come on. And they often clearly haven't listened to what the commentators that were on shift before them have done. It's really just sort of like gossip girls. You get a lot of like, here's what I'm hearing in the paddock. If you are in the paddock and you are an authorized, I like on-air talent because I don't think any of them are journalists and you're going to make comments like that, 
bring receipts. And I don't mean name names, but you have access to layers and levels of detail that are not being shared with everyone. If you're going to make these three days of testing something that is really meaty and juicy for the people who are goofy enough like us to be willing to spend the time watching, then help give us the analysis. Now, some of it certainly has to be done after the fact, right? But you can start day two, an hour ahead of cars going out on track with an actual analytical review of what happened on track the day before and or be inserting that throughout. I literally got more useful information, more actual constructive understanding of why people were seeing what they were seeing and what it meant from Ruth Buscombe, who was the former head strategist at Alpha Romeo. She could boil down the data into one slide and do a better job of giving me information than I got watching an entire day of testing from the F1 talent. I go on about this at length all year long, so I won't do it right now, but I cannot agree with you more about how mid-level the quality of data is during the presentation. Most of the time they were splitting screens between showing you commentators and the cars that are on track. I don't ever want to see the commentators. I don't need to see the commentators. You're getting so little on-track action. There are 10 cars that are potentially out on track. You maybe saw three, four, five laps from any given driver throughout an eight-hour testing shift. That's ridiculous. For example, I didn't realize how long Danny Ricardo had been out on track. They very rarely cycle through telling you how many laps they've done. And I looked up and Danny Ricardo had done like 40 laps and we'd heard literally nothing about him. And I was like, I think I'd even just mentioned to Heather, I'm like, huh, Danny Ricardo's out on track. They haven't mentioned him at all. He must have just gone out. But no, it turned out that I'd missed that he was the little P had come away from his name. And he'd been out for fucking hours, apparently. And there's no reason for them not to be sharing who's on what tire compound, live, how many each driver has done in terms of laps. I'm going to go a step further. And I think fundamentally testing is flawed. And, you know, no one wants to have to agree with Fernando Alonso less than me. But I think his criticism this week of the fact that there's not enough testing is accurate. So I think it was Lance after testing who said, you know, there's no reason not to bring both cars for all the teams. And I Mm -hmm. would agree. It's probably a staff limitation issue. Like that is stretching resources, considering how hard the engineers are working during that time. I can really see why that would be a challenge, but either bring both cars or go back to two weeks of testing. I don't think that three days of testing is enough, particularly because as you pointed out, The inevitable, you know, two years ago, we had the sandstorm. This time we saw that drain covers are going to continue to be an issue potentially at every track because the cars are heavier, the cars are faster. The aerodynamic, you know, nature of these cars means that they are creating way, way more forces on those drains. This is all the kind of thing that will happen. And in those situations, not only do the commentators struggle to fill the air, at least one of the drivers is getting screwed out of time on track. You think about next year, you have Lewis Hamilton going to a Ferrari. There are like 15 other drivers on the grid who are out of contract. So let's say only half of them, seven of the drivers out of those 15 end up moving teams. That means that all of those drivers are going to have basically 12 hours to learn new cars. How is that encouraging 
competition between teams, how is that, what is that serving? Like, what is the purpose of minimizing on track test time? And I agree with Heather. I can't believe I'm saying that I agree with Fernando Alonso, but he's right. You go to tennis and you go to a grand slam and you have like, I don't know, the balls are say five ounces heavier and not fuzzy anymore. You're going to let those athletes practice, right? Like, otherwise you're not going to get the best of them. And it's essentially the same, except at much, much, much higher speeds with potentially horrific outcomes of not being having full understanding of the vehicle you're driving at, you know, two to 300 miles an hour with 19 other cars that are doing the exact same thing in a very small space. I really find it hard to believe that F1 TV is maximizing the quality of information that they're giving us, given that the only people who are going to tune in for testing are people who, generally speaking, are pretty analytic. They're only watching because they want to understand the data and what is happening. Even if they weren't willing to provide any sort of analysis of the data, give the data. If you have to monetize it further, okay, I can even live would live with that. But There's so much untapped potential in the quality of information that people are getting out of testing. I say that about regular race weekends and think it's true, but it's never more obvious that they're shorting viewers than it is in testing. What did we learn this week in terms of actual performance levels between cars? I don't think anybody anywhere on the planet who even saw a single paragraph recap of testing is going to argue over who everybody thinks is going to be the team that wins the championship. We are days away from the first race. And I think everybody knows exactly who's going to win the constructors and who's going to win the driver's championship. I don't think we need to go further than that. Everybody knows Max is going to win and that Red Bull is going to win by a country mile Uh, going further down. It could be interesting to see what happens. I mean, I don't necessarily think that McLaren and Ferrari were sandbagging, but same with Red Bull, but I don't think either of those three had their engines turned up the whole way or were pushing the cars. And even when McLaren had some issues here and there, like it was just a chill, relaxed atmosphere throughout the grid, as opposed to other teams. Like when you saw Williams or Mercedes coming into their garages, those guys did not have happy smiles on their faces. Mercedes is fucked if you judge by like how people were looking and the body language throughout the whole week. Nobody from the drivers to the wheel guys looked like they were having a good time and enjoying what was happening, uh, which was the opposite for McLaren. Everybody seemed like super chill and happy with life. So I think it's going to be interesting when we get to Bahrain to see what the actual speeds of some of these vehicles are going to be. Yeah, I think it's a given that most of the top half of the grid we're not really showing their cards. I think that that's actually very true of Mercedes as well. Um, I think I might be less pessimistic about Mercedes than you are at the moment. Um, I, I think right now Ferrari clearly took a step forward year over year. Um, I think the fact that they were able to put together not just some good one lap speed, but not great one lap speed comparatively. That's been their strength in the past, Um, but that they were able to put together really good race pace and really low tire deg. Um, Maybe not on all compounds, but generally speaking, their tire deg was wildly improved over what we saw from them last year. Mm -hmm. I think it's pretty easy to see them as second position, at least going into Bahrain. Similar to what you said, I think McLaren, 
seemed calm. I don't think it was a great sign that we saw so little of Lando on the last morning. Um, he only had 20 or 22 laps. I can't quite remember, but it wasn't much. The car was in the garage for quite a while. I think they are not maybe rocketing out of the gate the way I thought that they would be. I thought they were so strong in the second half last year. I really sort of expected them to show up in Bahrain and be clearly the second best team on the grid. I don't think that's the case. If you look at the data and sort of the analysis of the data that's coming out, it's very clear and not surprising that Red Bull clearly has a lot more in hand and had that engine turned down. Um, I'm seeing data today, which really is so typical of Mercedes, right? It's one of two things. Either Mercedes had their PU turned way down, uh, and that seems to be the current scuttle, or they've got another damn brick on their hands. Uh, and we won't know which of those it is until next weekend. But Mercedes is another team like Ferrari that clearly took, I think, a big step forward year over year in testing. This is a better car than what they were driving last year. It's a better car than they were driving two years ago. It's quite frankly the car that had they shown up with in 2022, we might have actually had some competitive racing at some point in the last two years. I'm super fascinated with what the purpose of the adjustable front suspension is. Mm -hmm. Is that something that they're just looking at to find a single route forward? Or will they literally be adjusting that race by race based on how much anti-dive they think that they need? That's clever as hell. Um, I think you can see James Allison has come in and created a much more cohesive package in general. They've moved the cockpit back. They've done some creative work with the front wing. We'll see if that ends up lasting once everyone's, you know, had a chance to see how much extra aero wash comes off the front of that car and whether it's hurting racing. I'm not sure in my own mind whether Mercedes is second, third, or fourth on the grid right now. I think we're going to have to wait for a couple of races, not just like Bahrain the first race or two, but what they have that develops after we see these cars in real world race conditions, right? Because one of the things you can't really test for is what the aero wash is coming off the vehicle in front of you and how it affects your car. Because you don't know what anybody else's aero wash is until you see the cars and see the have the experiences. I think that the highlight of the second day of testing was when the track decided to run the safety car tests about four minutes early. It was disappointing because Lewis was getting ready to go out on, I think, what was going to be a bit of a glory run and a chance to see, you know, how much more dialed in. The car really in the second day seemed so much better in the afternoon than it was in the morning. In the morning, it felt like every lap you watched with Lewis on board was a battle. And you just felt like, oh my God, this car is horrific again. And then in the afternoon, it really started to dial in and dial in and dial in. And he had some good, some good laps there at the end. And he was just going out and everybody was like, whoop, we're going to get to see him go out and really push on these new tires. And they triggered the safety car practice session about four minutes early. And the end result was they got a tiny 30 second gap of racing, which was literally <laughs> the high point of the entire day as they all came down uh, the start finish straight towards turn one together. So that was a little bit of fun. Again, they really changed the front end suspension geometry on Friday. So 
you know, how much was any of that affecting what we were saying? Like you said, really testing is only useful to a point. Aston Martin, I think, is another sort of how much are they sandbagging? Is is Fernando, you know, when he sort of says, well, we're not really where we were last year. Is that him downplaying? Certainly, unlike last year, everybody isn't like, ooh, Aston Martin's going to be second. Aston Martin's going to be taking it to Red Bull. No, that's not going to happen. But are they close to the Ferrari, Mercedes, McLaren group? It's so very hard to tell with Alonso. He's really good about his body language, but he didn't seem as bouncy. He seemed more irritated than anything else, but he could also be more irritated that the new cycle is really focusing on Lewis at the moment. And we all know Lewis lives super rent-free in Fernando's head. I don't know. That's my answer. My answer is I don't know. It's hard to tell with them. It's not Alpine who's publicly stated they're fucked. It's not Williams that have had a couple of different issues and have changed their arrow and are not as fast in a straight line. You know, the other thing we haven't been talking about is which teams have two strong drivers versus which teams don't. And I think that impacts uh, Mm -hmm. Aston Martin in a way that it doesn't really the Ferrari, McLaren, Mercedes group. Then there's Visa cash grab. We don't know. Other than one or two glory runs, they just really seem to have that car doing long runs, high fuel. Everybody, I think, has been unclear how much that car is RB19 2.0. Danny Rick was downplaying it on like day one or day two of testing. Mm. It's super easy to think they're sandbagging. So where are they going to fall in that pecking order? And he was putting in really consistent laps as well when he was out there. Which makes some sense. The Red Bull, you know, we glossed over it, but there wasn't a single iota of observable weakness in that RB20 with a brand new concept and design. That car literally had no tire dag on any compound it ran. Mm -hmm. Nothing. Zero. Now, some of that's max, but mostly it's that car is extraordinarily kind of tires still. Does Cash Grab come in with the same kindness to tires? I haven't seen anything that's showing me that level as people are sort of rolling out like, you know, here's the 15 laps. Ferrari had some really rock steady relatively low deg runs. Mercedes was pretty darn good too. I haven't seen anybody talking about that for them. So they definitely could be in the mix in that sort of pack, which I'm not really sure. What are we calling them? They're not exactly the midfield, but they're right. They're not going to compete with Red Bull. You know, I say I say they're the top of the field and Red Bull's in its own league. Yeah. It's it's like a separate formula these days. Any specific thoughts on Williams? They had two separate issues that had them in their garage for various times throughout the sessions. Hopefully, they've sorted that out. The floor is not flat anymore, which is probably good in terms of stability and aero, but they're not as fast in straight lines anymore. So we'll see how that ends up working out for them overall. I think part of what everyone's looking at with Williams is that they kept the same rear suspension. Like you said, generally, it seems like they've probably taken a step back in the sense that they've lost some of the outright straight line speed. They're still good in a straight line. They're just not great in a straight line. My guess is we're going to see them not quite as competitive this year, but that this gave them the more stable, understood overall package that then they can start developing from. Mm. Now, how quickly they can do that and whether they can get that accomplished this year or if this is just a step. Williams, they need a bigger, a longer, 
um, event horizon, right? Like their goal has to be get to a much stronger place over a couple of years as opposed to within a single season. Yeah, there's no magic fix for Williams after so many years of being them. Yeah. Also, they did some interesting things. You know, when you you look at it, like they've got a a streak on the front wing in plate that's not something anybody else has done. There's a little bit of innovation at the rear wing. They're they're trying things. And I think that's exciting is that they're now really focusing on creating their own car. Hopefully this is the first step towards them getting more firmly in the midfield in the next year or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, that got us down to the brightest car on the grid, State Pick. <laughs> Sour, oh pick your name. You cannot miss that thing from outer space. It is so bright. I like it way better in the wild than I did in captivity. I do not like it at all. It is incredibly bright, but wow, you can 100% see it. And I, as I said, I way like it better in the wild than I did in captivity. I don't like it except for the fact that, my God, you cannot miss it. Yeah. It's just that. It's distinct. You will never not know that that's a stake. There are a couple of cars that I'm still like, they come around the corner and you know, Bahrain is always a little weird because you get that bright, bright light. And then under the lights at night, like the difference sometimes in how well you can differentiate the cars mm-hmm. is so dramatic. That is still true. Every time an Aston Martin came around, turn 15 onto the start finish straight, I thought it was a Mercedes. It was not that darkness factor that comes in on the paint with so many cars running dark this year. Not a problem with steak. I'll give them that. You absolutely know their car from anybody else's. (laughs) So they really stand out for their livery. I felt like it was a pretty anonymous testing, Mm -hmm. maybe because they don't get much coverage. It's hard to know how much of that was like, was I just not paying attention? Maybe that was some of it. I don't think they've made any big improvements. I don't think they're going to be worst on the grid. That's about all I can say. Sam, I think they have two journeyman drivers that do pretty good for what those cars they have under them are. Apart from, you know, even if they're not being shown on screen, you'll definitely be able to see them in the background for the entire season of the race. No problem. Haas certainly won the competition for most laps driven. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were many laps ahead of anybody else in testing, which was also a little bit under the radar. I mean, obviously, at the end of every day, you know how many laps are being done, but it did not strike me how many more laps they'd managed to put in until testing was done. And then you kind of went, whoa, that is a lot, boys. Good job. And they were out in the track. And as Heather said, we didn't hear about a lot about them. And they didn't seem to be eating their tires after three laps. So if they are another team that solved their tire dag issues, then I don't think it's going to pump them up to the top of the field. But I think drivers like Nico Hulkenberg will be able to get them more points than they ever have before. I'm not sure they weren't still chewing through tires, maybe not as bad in the past. I think Haas understands and expects they're still near the bottom of the table. They still seem to have decent one lap pace. Cars dang reliable, right? Like if you can put in that many laps and you are not wasting any time in the garage, it means a couple of things. One, you feel like your development options are pretty limited (laughs) because Mm -hmm. you're clearly not testing a variety of setup options, or you'd be spending at least some more time in the garage. Like I feel like that's why Mark was at the near the bottom of the table was they were making huge setup changes on the car. They were really grinding through a testing program, trying to understand exactly where their correlations were and weren't working and what did get it more stable, et cetera. They just, they've had such a change in car, but Haas, I think just was like, this is what we got. This is what we're doing. We're putting it out on track and we're driving around in circles. Woohoo. And they did. 
So that brings us to Alpine. Oh, my poor French boys. It really sucks because I think they've got two drivers that deserve to be in a better car, but all accounts seem to say Alpine came out of testing deeply, deeply concerned about where they are right now uh, for a variety of reasons. The car is overweight. It is not fast. It is not particularly kind on tires. In other words, it is not a good race car right now. They are losing potentially engineers by the rumor mill, if not reality. They seem to be starting on the back foot. That really didn't kind of come out until the third day of testing. Again, this is where I think a little more day-to-day analysis in F1 TV's pool of resources would have been helpful. Mm -hmm. Show us why they're struggling and where they're struggling. You don't really get that until a few days later. But they do have two pretty decent drivers who may be able to pull that car somewhere. Clearly, we have a Red Bull in the hands of Max Verstappen, likely to win every race. Probably going to take something going wrong, a Singapore scenario again, Mm -hmm. for Max not to win everything this year. He may just go ahead and run the table, which is sad on a bunch of levels. Checo, on the other hand, purportedly seven-tenths of a second off in pace. I don't think that's a completely fair comparison because you don't know anything about the other stuff. But you've got sort of Checo, I think, more in line with, frankly, that other group of cars, Mm -hmm. right? Like we can expect Checo to qualify in the same grouping of all the Ferrari, McLaren, Red Bull, Visa Cash Grab, Aston Martin cluster. But what we saw last year was any team could stick a car in Q3. I think we may see that even tighter this year, Mm -hmm. which seems inconceivable. We had qualies where... Literally, the delta between P1 and P20 in Q1 was a second. The delta between pole and P10 was three and a half tenths of a second. It's insane, but I think that could even be tighter this year. Yeah, which will be really interesting to see. For quality, you'll have some tighter laps, but I think you'll also have bigger gaps between the cars. Yeah, obviously, the first race or two are their own sort of creatures just by virtue of the fact that. Teams are still very much learning. That might be the most interesting part of this season is whether that quality condensed grid becomes more and more the norm. Mm -hmm. Or like you said, if it just loosens up and it turns out that it's actually not that condensed. 